Welcome to another episode of The Open Door. Brought to you by Legendary Living Arts and Waking Way Productions. We are your hosts, Kelly. And Kelly. We invite you to walk through the door with us to explore different perspectives on health, wellness, reality, and everything in between. The loops. The loops of our stories. Is that, that, that's a really good topic to talk about. Topic, yeah. You know, because that's that's the, one of the main ways that shadow and ego use our own information against us. Where, you know, we, we have stories and we tell them to ourselves to, you know, for a myriad of reasons, for a variety of reasons, so that we stay stuck and we don't know that we're doing it. We don't know that these stories are there and, and we're talking to ourselves through these stories, about these stories, from the origin point of these stories, and not actually listening to the story. We're just so wrapped up <clears throat> in the loop of repeating like a mantra. Like this is, you know, this, this is actually the, you know, a sacred science being used against us. The, the repetition, the repetition of intention of a story, which is what a prayer or a mantra or a decree or an invocation is where we are invoking our own identity and connecting with our hearts and our shadow stories to keep us hidden and disconnected are looped over and over and over again to convince us that we do not have a connection to source, that we are not as stardust as we are, that we are not capable of the things that we are capable of. Or, you know, the I, I know for myself, it's like, you know, telling myself the story, gosh, since like grade two, since the first time my mom forgot me at the library at school, like forgot to pick me up after school. And you know how, we, like, you know, when, when you're a kid, you don't understand the world of adults. You do not understand how a parent could forget you. Right. So, you know, it's devastating, but, you know, you don't want to, you, you, you don't want to question it because it's your parent too. Right. It's, it's sort of like a weird thing. Like, it's just sort of like talking about one of, one of the, one of the main stories that I discovered about how um, back in, back in grade school, I started telling myself the story that I didn't deserve having the support, that I was not worthy of support yet. I've always had this deep connection to source and this deep ability to know and understand and feel and understand what I'm feeling, except, you know, the constant looping of my story and the repetition of my story was done in such a way as to completely undermine and completely invalidate my belief in myself. Yeah, I think too, like, as kids, like, you don't realize that you've told yourself a story either. Yeah. And you, and you, um, like, just thinking about what you said about being forgotten at the library, you know, it's like we have this sort of, uh, we don't want to, we don't know how to see our parents as people because we, at that age, we've kind of put them on this pedestal, like, they know everything. They're taking care of me. Like we don't really understand that they're doing the best they can. And when when they don't give us the support that we feel we need in that moment. And if we don't know as a kid, how to communicate about it or, and our parents don't know how to communicate about it. And, and then both sides are like projecting onto the situation, something, and we might not know what it is that, you know, we, we just don't have that maturity, I think, when we're kids to, oh, yeah. <laughs> to look at our parents or, you know, or other caregivers and teachers is just like they're people and they're trying. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, sometimes the way people try, it's traumatizing to us. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. we don't, and then we carry that with us like, oh, this is like our cross to bear. And we, <laughs> you know, we'll find ways of repeating it in like other relationships or people. And it's weird because we don't even know that we've done that. Yep. Yep. And it takes a, a big level of self-awareness to, to go, hold on a second. Like, why do I do that? Why do I feel that? 
Yeah, when when I started to unravel um, some of my emotional addiction to working and to keeping myself busy, that's when I triggered myself to understand the story that I've been telling myself since grade two, that I, I wasn't worthy unless I was pushing myself, that I wasn't worthy of support unless I was working as hard as I possibly could to gain acceptance <clears throat> and love for my family. And when I realized that, um, I kind of didn't go into work for a whole week because I just, I just needed space. And I was, I was, I was so angry with myself and upset, uh, at my family and lack, you know, really seeing, um, some of the gaps in communication that exist in my family and that I had adopted and that I had no idea existed in my, uh, mental space in my in my personality because of what I consider to be normal and what I consider to be my story and my identity as one of needing to you know make every moment filled with something have every moment reflect hard work right it's it's helped me in the martial arts <laughs> I mean there's pros and cons to this it's helped me in the martial arts and all the qigong and, and the medical qigong and and push myself through some really really hard training but that's you know um you even on even on a personal level the way i push myself uh in my training to be accepted by my teachers my martial arts teachers uh same story same same loop same loop reflected in a, in a completely different set of circumstances uh, you know, again, better, you know, pros and cons. There are things that this story has actually helped me with in a positive way that has, you know, let me, you know, it made me who I am. It's not a matter of rejecting the story or rejecting the choices I've made, but seeing the impact and seeing how believing in the story and accepting the story of not being worthy of support or acceptance unless I was literally killing myself with work and kill myself being so busy that how it, you know, how it influenced like that, 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 that whole story influenced a great deal of my emotional makeup and choices that I've made and layers of self-sabotage and behaviors of self-sabotage over the years in, in such a way where there's, you know, a, a gap in communication created so that there's a miscommunication, so that there's drama, so that there's a fear of being discovered that for some reason I may not be, you know, um, the hardworking person that I am. Like it, we, you know, weird twisted story so that I, I don't deserve this person in my life. I don't, I do not deserve the support. I do not deserve the the recognition or or I do not deserve to be successful. Like there's a whole gamut of associated and connected false feelings of lack and uh, poverty consciousness and victim issue wrapped into this story of, uh, you know, that I started telling myself in, in grade two after I got forgotten at school you know that first time and I've, I've gone over this myself quite a lot since i've discovered it which has helped unfold and unpack a great deal of other stories that have parallel because again you know this is the thing about doing shadow work or doing light work for real is that the more you observe something, the more it changes. The more you <clears throat> observe yourself, the more you change merely because you're observing yourself. And the more you observe yourself, the more you become aware of yourself and the more you can change the things that you are observing and are becoming aware of. So the more I've let myself feel the structure of the story, like as the start and the core storytelling because i you know this, this is a pattern and, and again this is a pattern that i created for myself as a kid uh choosing you know looking back i can feel those spaces where i chose to stay 
behind at the library on days when I knew that my mom was going to be busy and how I set myself up to be forgotten, even as a kid, even as a kid. Right. Like you were trying to prove that, well, maybe this time, if she loves me, she'll be here on time. Exactly. Then when she did show up, you're like, oh, see, I knew she didn't love me or whatever story. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, and you know, unraveling that, unpacking that and, and being an observation has let me see all the ways that everything is, you know, intertwined and the way that everything sort of like fits together. When you turn it over, like you get to see all the pieces, all the loose ends that can be connected to other, other drama, other, other stories. And that's the whole point of observing and discovering stories is to find how they've been woven together and to see all those loose ends of emotional triggers that are just waiting there in the story to jump into other parallel stories of self-sabotage, denial, uh, you know, you know, the whole point of like second guessing yourself and, and having that hesita- that kind of hesitation as a pattern that used to be one of my patterns that started with this story of, yeah, like maybe, maybe this time I'll prove to myself that I'm worthy of love, that I'm worthy of, you know, whatever it is that I'm seeking, whatever it is that I was looking for in terms of external validation. And this is another thing that this unraveling of this story has really helped me see is all the layers that my shadow, my uh, monkey mind ego, my reptilian brain uh, programming, self-defense mechanism programming, the lengths that it's all gone to, to keep me from seeing this story, from seeing and feeling this story, the impact, and to keep me from being able to step into a space of observation of tracking backwards along the storyline, the timeline, the creation line of my mental emotional engagement in, in, in the illusion, in the limited fashion of putting weight, invisible weights onto the story that I had no idea were there while I'm growing up, while I'm turning into an adult, quote unquote, an adult, and not seeing the you know the weight that I was carrying, the the heaviness of the projection onto myself, of not knowing, of not wanting to know, of not you know knowing that the story was there, not wanting to look, not wanting to see or observe that trigger moment of that story and how natural it became to trigger myself with that story. And this is, this is the other thing that happens. I've discovered through my, through my own practice, through my own inner, inner work, inner dialogue work and observation is that we do not need other people. We do not need external events, but they're convenient. External events, people, things, you know, even, you know, sometimes when I was, when I was really, really agitated and really, really on, on the, on edge, you know, a blade of grass would set me off. <laughs> it's happened a couple of times where you're walking through the grass and, and, and just like a really sharp piece of grass, you know, I'm, I'm cutting the grass or something like that. Sharp piece of grass just scrapes, you know, my leg, my ankle or whatever. And it's just that little extra, you know, that straw that broke the camel's back where my system is so agitated and so raw that that little blade of grass just makes me lose, lose my mind. And, you know, that kind of event of such a small thing setting me off, heading, you know, it's not about the blade of grass. It's the fact that all that weight from that projection onto myself triggering myself with the story and fighting myself and my inner story is what caused that rawness and what is what caused that imbalance 
And when I began to look at this story years ago, it was what really made me understand that my emotional and mental space and energy and connection to my higher self, you know, my heart, you know, my divine self, creation, whatever you want to call it, that who I am is absolutely, completely, 100% dependent on me, on my choice and choosing to look at things or not look at things. That my emotional mental state has everything to do with if I'm telling myself a story, if I'm believing it, as in if I'm telling myself a false story, if I'm telling myself a monkey mind, ego, fear story, to keep myself in that loop of fear, that absolutely everything is 100% me. Everything I feel, everything I choose is 100% me. And that was very, very bitter to swallow. That was very, very bitter to recognize and to begin to understand because our ego loves to blame people. We love to project our hurt and our pain outward. <clears throat> We're programmed that way. That's our reptilian defense mechanism is to push it away, to push it outward, to not own it, to not integrate it, but to get that energy away from us as fast as possible. You know, lose our shit, lose our minds and go after someone and blow up at other people because we do not want to accept the, the pain and the hurt that that blow up or that anger or that fear is actually from. We do not want to accept that we have all these stories inside of us that are actually the cause of everything that we feel. So this is why going inside and learning how to listen, learning to identify the story so that you can feel the structure of that timeline, of that creation. You can feel the structure, the beginning, like tracking backwards through your feelings to feel the impact. I mean, every impact, every mental, emotional trigger is like a Lego block in the structure of that story. Every little trigger, every little moment of engagement in that story, giving that story energy, giving that story value, making that story more valued than your own connection to your heart is a point of structure of energy and how you place it there, how you choose to place that weight of that emotional, mental energy into that story tells you how you are building, holding on to, or using that story to validate your ego and to continue creating your false identity and to continue creating your illusion of fear based in fear because all illusion is based in fear. Anything that's based in, based in fear is empty. And this is one of the things that your monkey mind ego and your reptilian defense mechanisms and your shadow, and you see multiple layers all here working together from different angles, which is why this is confusing sometimes. And often people get over-focused on one because if they do not understand that there are these other aspects, the monkey mind and the reptilian brain and the shadow all working together because people will focus on, on the monkey mind the way people do in, say, like Buddhism. Or they'll work on, on, on the shadow the way they, they do in sort of, uh, you know, New Age Catholicism or uh, psychiatry and psychology. They'll focus on the shadow. And one of the things that I know people do not like to talk about or very little has been talked about is the reptilian brain defense mechanisms, the actual hardwired through genetics, DNA creation as humans, embodiment as humans is the literal physical in, in the hypothalamus, the amygdala, the actual reptilian brain center that is physically in our bodies. So you have all of these things. You have the mental, emotional program, the monkey mind, and you have the energetic interacting of the shadow of all of the hiding that we do. 
And then you have the reptilian brain, which is literally physically hardwired into our bodies, into our nervous systems that people rarely understand they need to overcome or even consider is a reality or needs to be addressed that they just think is mental emotional. And so they constantly have stops and starts, stops and starts, stops and starts or relapses, full on relapses and do not understand that they actually physically need to change their nervous system through meditation, Qigong, yoga, weightlifting, whatever that physical discipline is so key to helping your nervous system rewire itself out of these stories. And this is one of my biggest learning experiences have been, you know, lifting weights since I was 11 or 12 and doing Qigong since I was like 12 or 13 and having these stops and starts and then relapses, you know, like with my asthma where I would have, you know, when I was learning the eight pieces of brocade Qigong set first, the first few months and I would have asthma attacks in the middle of doing my Qigong set and be scared of continuing, but I would, slow my breathing down. I would slow myself down and I would slow down all my movements and I would force myself, even though all this panic and terror was literally tearing through my brain and my nervous system and choosing to want that different space, that healthy space, that strong space, choosing to challenge this literal physical terror response in my body to doing something new. So that was one of my first real glimpses in, into how the mind works and how the reptilian brain works and how you can physically change your mental emotional patterns. You can physically take the body and use the body to change your, your nervous system, your blood flow to the brain so that you rewire the hypothalamus and the amygdala and the, the reptilian brain deliberately, consciously. That's why I teach what I teach. That's why I am so passionate because I know it's possible. I know it just takes time, but it's, it's super simple to say, oh, well, you know, I've never experienced that, so I don't believe it works. That's not listening. That's just denial. If you're listening, then you listen to what I'm saying and you can actually feel the authenticity. You can actually feel the genuine. Honestly, I, I, just, I just feel love being able to share, being able to share that concept that you can rewire your nervous system. You can change your life through physical discipline, discipline of awareness. Becoming aware of your body helps you become aware of the stories. Because the mental-emotional connection to your body is concrete. We have organs in our body that rush endorphins and adrenaline through our body when we get triggered. That's a literal, physical, concrete point of reference for being emotionally triggered. That's a physical origin of a trigger is literally inside the body, the adrenaline, the endorphins rushing through our body because we've been triggered because our body is conditioned. So if you have, if you have a discipline that allows you to control that space, if you have a discipline that allows you to control that space, then you'll stop falling backwards into the mental programming and you'll begin to create something new inside your body that buffers and changes the way that the outside world validates your stories. You begin to step into observation, begin to feel the impact on your body of these stories. And this is one of the things that I learned an awful lot in the last 30 years is that doing my practice, Qigong, meditation, Bagua, even lifting weights now, instead of it being an ego macho thing of, of a male, it's just like, listen to my body, listen to everything that I do physically and how that causes me to observe what I'm feeling in my body has completely changed my internal dialogue. Giving myself this discipline of a physical connection with my literal physical present moment has changed absolutely everything 
about the way that I observe myself, the way that I feel everything in my body, the way that I can step back and into myself and observe what I'm feeling, observe what my mind's trying to do. You know, any anger or fear comes up, I just, I observe it. It is very rare now for me to actually be hijacked. And even if I have a moment of being hijacked and, and getting angry or actually experiencing fear or, or anxiety is very, very short lived because my momentum that I've built in terms of my practice inside of observing my stories has created a different momentum inside my nervous system has changed the way that I relate to my stories and the way that I observe the emotional, mental triggers and the way that my shadow, my monkey mind, and my reptilian brain all work together or try to work together now to hijack me and trigger me and push me in a direction of disconnection and a direction of not being connected with my body, my heart, or listening and not being present. And our... Our um, habit of, of accepting stories blindly changes when we have that kind of discipline, when we build that kind of awareness, when we give ourselves a moment of observation and we build that as the habit, as our moment of observation and understanding that that is the key that that is our gift to ourselves. When we begin to look at self-observation as a true gift and a resource, an actual resource to change ourselves, to give ourselves space to change instead of it being about looping back into our stories, then things really begin to change. And understanding that you are, and I've, I've actually gone through this process consciously where I'll actually say to myself, I am giving myself a gift right now. I am giving myself a gift right now. I am giving myself a gift right now to shift gears in my brain while I am feeling my trigger, while I am feeling my story, you know, the grief, the sadness, the fear, the anger, the joy, even a relief you know, grief and sorrow and, you know, even feeling moments of regret and understanding that every moment is a gift of observation, is a gift through observation, sitting in observation, being in observation, every moment, every breath is a true gift because when you change it into observation and every moment into observing your stories, even while, the, you know, the stories are either still playing out really strongly and you're just beginning to be observant of them or they're burning out and things are falling apart and parts of your emotional identity are, are, are falling apart and disappearing. And you have to like recreate who you are emotionally because you don't not have, you do not have those old pieces anymore. And you have to relearn what it is like to feel in that empty space in that new space, having that gift of observation Understanding that this is the gift that you're giving yourself. This is the gift of your wisdom. This is the gift of your true alignment with your heart is being calm and at peace and still inside while you observe and you learn how to feel through observation and through that stillness and that peace and the calm and how to actually build and weave your identity together in a new way without the old stories. And stories, no matter how much they hurt, are priceless gifts along the way because they are who we've chosen to be. They are an indication of how our illusion has coerced us or convinced us to choose these stories as our belief system. As I'm listening to you talk, I was realizing that there was a story. I don't remember like a specific moment that I told myself the story, but that I felt guilty as a teenager because so much of my family's life revolved around 
my gymnastics, like my training and my parents, like they would take turns driving me all the time. And, you know, my sisters have like, my sisters and I have talked about it like since then, but I didn't really, I don't think I unraveled the story though, because I had told them once that I felt guilty, you know, for my, my parents not being around for them. And they said, Oh, that's okay. Because we enjoyed being at home alone. And, and, you know, mom and dad weren't at home fighting. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we, and I, I don't think I ever saw my parents choice to support me that way that I felt guilty because for such a long time that I like life sort of seemed to revolve around me and what I wanted to do. And I don't think that I ever saw what they did as a choice. Like that was their choice to, you know, drive me and support me and be on the board of the gym and, you know, do all these things. And I think that that had a big impact on me because when I quit gymnastics, I still carried the guilt. And so I can feel how that in my life, like in relationships or jobs or, you know, in any, anything where I put myself last because I still feel guilty if I put myself first. Right. Right. And so I, like even though and so it's funny because I can feel some of the dialogues I've had with my kids like lately like the other day one of them said to me like what are you making for dinner mom and I said oh well you know maybe the question could be like what are we making for dinner like it doesn't have to fall on me to make it even though I like cooking and they we had to talk about that like about changing the dialogue like now that everybody's older and they everyone can help out the question should be, you know, changing that dynamic about, oh yeah, and like what what can we do to help? Like rather than, you know, looking at you me to do something. And yeah, it's it's I have this really big push pull and it comes it, it actually I can feel how it permeates into a lot of things where it's like I want, for lack of a better word, like the spotlight in a lot of different things, but it's not to be like in an ego way, but it's to be able to express myself in what I feel, whether it's writing or, you know, even with legendary living arts, making me productions, et cetera. It's like, I, I want to be able to express myself and then I will feel, I don't feel guilty, but it's like, I can feel how that story, that guilt story like keeps me from it's like oh well someone else should have the spotlight too like i shouldn't just have it someone else should have it too and mm-hmm. i don't i don't just like own that hey it's okay for me to express myself it's okay for me to do these things and be different i don't have to feel guilty about being different yep. i don't have to feel guilty about putting what i would like first or even discussing with somebody what i want i don't have to feel bad about that Exactly. 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 Yeah, that's an important story to look at, especially as a mother, especially as a parent and an adult. And the kind of conversation that you actually want to have with your kids so that they can break that pattern themselves. Yeah, it's even the the conversation that I have with myself because it's not even that I I hadn't actually thought of you know like you know when I when I told everybody that I was triggered this morning I hadn't even thought that the reason I'm triggered has to do with guilt which of course is a fear response but I just that had never occurred to me until today like I, because I've seen it from different angles and different emotions and different, different stories, yep. but I haven't seen how that story that I told myself then has weaved its way into, into that. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, crap. Okay. That's why I have such a hard time putting myself first as, yep. yeah, because it's actually guilt. And I went, oh crap, that's a different, like I hadn't like. I hadn't thought of that one yet. It was like, geez. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a big one. That's a big one. Actually yeah. your own healthy space for yourself, for your self-expression. You know, the 
my my experience growing up because my I mean especially after grade seven and I would be at home alone for hours I'd have to take care of myself I would I would not have any responsibilities and I was usually you know the one making supper for my family for my mom and dad my brother for when they came home and so long as I did that, you know, everything was fine or kosher, you know, sometimes I'd forget or I'd start late and, you know, my mom and dad would be angry at me or, or whatever, but, you know, we'd still all eat and stuff like that. It was more sort of like minor irritations in, in delays and stuff like that. <clears throat> but I, I grew up v- very, very much on my own um, after, after grade seven, um, being at home by myself, not having to worry about anyone. And in high school, you know, I'd go to my grandparents, my grandparents would leave me alone until my mom and dad picked me up. And, you know, then it would just be, you know, and I'd spend weekends on my grandparents and, uh, you know, do my own thing and not having to worry about anyone. And I've lived most of my life like that. So I kind of have the inverse Thing going on where learning how to uh, cohabitate, learning how to share space is sometimes a challenge for me because I am so used to routines that are kind of dependent on me just having space and me being able to do what I normally do. And and, it, and it's weird because it's like for me, there would, there would be guilt in terms of people not understanding where I would be concerned of people not understanding that I am so used to doing my own thing that I kind of have to learn how to uh, communicate a little bit more or um, share more information about what I know about myself and how I observe myself and my patterns. And, you know, especially being busy and trying to do all the things that I'm doing, having, you know, the capacity to do that, but also listening to other people's spaces has sort of become a major part of my discipline because I've had such a unique life and creating space for other people's needs is something that I've had to learn how to do, even even though I had a huge caretaking problem or a huge caretaking program, not problem, program, huge caretaking program growing up because I did take care of my family. So there's always this dialogue for myself, the story of, am I doing this out of caretaking? Am I doing this out of a need for myself to support myself, my self-expression, and am I communicating enough to get others to understand? And am I communicating enough with myself to make sure that none of this is motivated by a false illusion story or a need for ego validation or out of a reptilian brain self-defense mechanism to preserve my, you know, some limited concept of myself. So that's sort of like my, my internal process was literally everyone because, you know, my caretaking program got me into the 11 year relationship with my ex-wife that was just completely unhealthy. I learned a lot, became exceptionally strong as a result of that relationship in understanding my, my own needs but there's always that not not a reluctance or hesitation or worry it's it's not a fear there's always that moment of of you know discernment where i go through there's you know moments of communication where i'm always discerning and listening for that space inside myself where i know that caretaking program used to be and when I say I know, you know, where it used to be, I know for a fact that I've broken it and I let it burn out. But 
you know, past experiences always sort of are reflected in the present and being present. There's always this list of observation of internal dialogue that I go through in order to make sure that I am being present and that I am expressing myself from an authentic and genuine space. And because the story that I started telling myself in grade two about not being worthy of support was a huge self-denial story that also got wrapped into caretaking my my mother after her car accident when I was 17 or or was it 18 or 19 is a while ago 20 years ago and then you know the last couple of years my dad you know my dad had a car accident in 2017 and I've been taking care of him and observing a huge gap in my internal dialogue where my caretaking program used to be and observing how that feels not having that caretaking in me and actually having to change my dialogue with my dad, my, my interactions with my family quite dramatically because of how used to my caretaking program my family is where a lot of the initial dialogue around my dad's recovery was all caretaking dialogue. It was all about me sacrificing myself to give everything to my dad and, and, and to my mom and observing that space inside myself where my caretaking program used to be and how I could literally feel my monkey mind or my ego, my shadow trying to grab hold of that space trying to pressure me into sacrificing myself all over again and having to, you know, go through a few rough months, especially when my dad was first recovering in, in ICU and, and in the hospital and having to balance work time teaching and going to the hospital all the time to help my dad and feeling that space of, you know, my, my ego just wanting to make me give in, wanting to make me just, you know, give up to the whole, you know, sacrifice. This is, you know, this is a good cause. This is family. This is, you know, this is for love. You, you owe everybody to sacrifice yourself. And I'm just like listening to these little snippets of programming, you know, and how, you know, how they try and make, you know, how those programmings, those aspects of my personality, those old aspects of my personality would try and make me feel guilty or embarrassed or ashamed that I wasn't at the hospital or that I wasn't, you know, in the office or that I wasn't, you know, up all night working to help my mom or, you know, or my dad or, you know, doing all these things and how I deliberately had to in certain moments, just, you know, take a week off and not do anything. And I, you know, ironically, one of these pivotal moments, my car broke down. So I could not do anything. I literally, was at a, at a breaking point and, and holding space for myself against my, my programming and my shadow trying to get me to feel guilty about not doing more. And like, there's literally n- nothing else I could do. I was literally at my rope at the end of my rope and stretched so thin, like there was literally nothing I could do. Thankfully it was also Christmas. So I didn't have to worry about getting to my classes and teaching and, you know, I, I had to borrow money from my mom and dad to pay for my car repairs and I got my car repaired, but it took almost three whole weeks. So it was almost the entirety, like this is around, around Christmas in 2017. And, you know, uh, thankfully I had, uh, you know, I, I had a, a, a wonderful partner in my life who was able to drive me to you know see my dad and help out with some of the driving and but you like the whole time the story this old story of caretaking was trying to quietly assert itself or quietly assert a new space inside the space that I was holding for myself inside this new space of I literally could not do anything there's literally nothing I could do because I was still waiting for my car so the universe provided an, an exceptionally brilliant convergence of issues or, or 
events to force me to look at this caretaking issue because, and the guilt and the shame that my ego tried to throw at me, try to convince me to accept as who I was, that who I should be when I did not believe that at all. And so my, my car finally got fixed. It was about three, three week mark. Cause I mean, it was Christmas holidays and all that. And there's a lot of work to do. Um, I believe the, the water pump and the serpentine belt and a couple other things had gone. And I also needed new tires and all that other stuff. But I had no ability to do anything. I had literally the in, internally, externally, emotionally, mentally, I had no space to do anything about anything except wait and not engage. You know, I couldn't go see my dad. Uh, I couldn't get to the office. I mean, I could get to the office. I could get on the bus and stuff like that. But all my work, I, I could still do from home, right? So I did not need to be in the office. So I chose not to be in the office. And it radically changed. Like being forced to sit still radically changed in literally in the space of the first three or four days. It radically changed how much... influence my ego mind and my shadow had on me specifically in relation to my family this is like right after my dad had had his car accident so you know you know emotional tension is still there um logistics and stuff like that are still really really hard to sort of figure out you know adding all this extra work on with my dad so there was a lot of or a lot of moments of just feeling my brain melt and implode because my stories wanted me to sacrifice myself as much as possible. Even if that meant, you know, like breaking myself mentally and emotionally to help my family. And then my car dies and all this other stuff. And I, I have no, no way to do anything. Uh, I'm suddenly, you know, just taken completely out of the picture for three weeks. And lo and behold, you know, or, you know, my, my dad's, you know, my dad survived, my mom survived, my, my family just keeps, keeps going on. Everything's, you know, everything's fine. And it was something that I've been working on. It had been the story that even though I'd stepped out of the caretaking program with my family and with my ex-wife getting divorced and all that, I discovered this whole other depth of pressure from my internal stories to be this person, to self-sacrifice, to commit myself in ways where I literally had no time or energy to do so, except for, you know, not sleeping kind of thing. So the impact of that, that Christmas time in 2017, right after my dad's car accident, really, really hammered home and broke a lot of the last few pieces or last few emotional hooks of my caretaking programming that I had not realized was, was still there, you know, cause this is, you know, my dad has a car accident. It's horrible. He has to recover. I have all these things, you know, all this free time per se to help. And the, guilt and shame that I felt initially the struggle, you know, the first two or three days of the feeling so much guilt and shame that I could not help that I literally was helpless, but nothing wrong was going to happen. Nothing wrong happened. There was nothing wrong with me not being able to help, but my internal dialogue was such that all of my family connections all my personal invested story connections to sacrifice myself for my family just utterly fell apart because there's no room for them anymore. And there's literally, you know, everything in those stories ran up against this, this absolute truth of there's nothing I can do. There's nothing to do, nothing I could do. And I had to just sit with that. And all I could do is wait. And I, you know, I've done stuff like this before, but not the depths to which, you know, I sort of crashed emotionally while this was going on was really, really profound and really opened my eyes to 
you know, it's, it's one thing to break the story, and, but the, the pieces still sort of tend to float around and your ego and your monkey mind still try to like to place those pieces onto other storylines and keep that energy engaged, to keep your mind engaged that way in that loop. And maybe it'll, it'll, it'll be a different story, but it'll be the same mental, emotional loop. It'll be different people, but it'll be the same mental, emotional loop. It'll be the same energy. It'll be the same programming and interaction with your story, even if the story is different. And this is one of the things that I discovered in 2017. I'd known this before, but the intensity of the pressure from these stories that suddenly just came to the surface in a massive way, like a, like a volcano erupting for like two, three days was, you know, it was really huge because again, I had no, nothing I could do. There was no space for these pieces of debris of these old programs to latch onto. There's nothing I could do. So stepping back into observation of these story pieces that were still there that were trying to latch onto something new, this, this sudden, you know, space of, you know, quiet, calm observation, trying to force their way into, you know, a position of relevance. It's like, Oh, you need to pay attention to this. You need to feel shame. You need to feel guilt. You need to feel embarrassment. And I, you know, I've known from my practice, like I'm none of those things, like anything that is fear based is not who I am. I know that. So that's what my discipline was with that moment in, in time or that, that life experience of feeling all of these pieces of this old story of caretaking and realizing, you know, the irony of the situation on a cosmic level is like all this was coming up. All these fear-based pieces were coming up. All these story pieces were coming up and trying to hook onto something. And they had nothing to hook onto. So I, I watched them just quietly sort of, you know, whimper away and, and, and disappear and just sort of like dissolve. And I could feel those spaces of, you know, that I was integrating to just allow myself the understanding that, again, I am not those fear-based stories, that I am not my caretaking story that there is literally nothing to do except observe reality and observe your connection and observe when you are in alignment with your connection with your heart and when you are not. And it really highlighted how stories have such a dramatic impact or have had a dramatic impact in my life of cutting me off and keeping me from being aligned with my heart and feeling with clarity and how like being around other people like my family and, you know, uh, old friends I used to have years ago and how I would take on their stories to be accepted, how I would mimic their stories to be accepted. And that was part of me observing the space in 2017 and Christmas 2017 and realizing that while I was watching this one major story and it's residue of hooks and emotional triggers burn, <laughs> burn to the ground for, for good. There are other layers underneath it. There are other layers that this story was hiding. There are other layers of connection to myself that I had not wanted to look at and that I'd been using this story to hide from. Uh, understandings of deeper communication with myself and, and ways of deeper communication with the people in my life. Um, spaces of being more authentic with myself and being more authentic with the others as a result of holding my space against this story and against these fragments of these stories that were trying to eat, reassert themselves when I suddenly was literally unable to move in the old way. I literally had to get my old car repaired with new parts so that my car could move so that I could literally move in my life again. So having this force upon me, right? There's no such thing as a coincidence. Having this space suddenly happen, force the issue of me looking at these stories, these story fragments that were still floating around that would pop up 
that I have not dealt with completely yet, that I'm not chosen to look at, where suddenly the choice was, nope, it's now. You got to look, you got to finish this. And ever, ever since then, the you know understanding that my choice to engage with my family and help my, my father is, is not from a sense of family duty or obligation, but is from a genuine space of love and kindness and, and understanding and appreciation for his presence in my life. And, and sure, yeah, there's, 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 there's a sense of gratitude in terms of the debt of gratitude, of love that my father has shown me support. So of course I'm going to return the favor. So even with all of, you know, the growing pains with my family, being able to feel that space underneath everything after, you know, the Christmas time, 2017 and feeling this much deeper and authentic space where I'd let go of all the stress or all the worry or the concern about my dad recovering and just feeling and knowing that he would and knowing that there'd be this evolution in our relationship has been the inspiration ever since this authentic space of just gratitude for being able to observe and let go of all of these fragments of illusion in such a short space of time because of his accident, because of his choice, you know, at a soul level to have this accident to break, literally physically break all these energetic attachments that he's had and, and to force himself to look at his physical reality and being able to witness his strength firsthand, being able to witness his growth as a person, as a result of his car accident and just being able to support him and love him for, you know, out of gratitude for him being my dad, you know, it's just that simple. No, no anger, no, no fear, no, no um, regret or sorrow. And just being able to genuinely authentically support him has been a completely other and unexpected result of moving through the space of stories and attachment to, to my stories with my family. Yeah. There, there are always deeper layers and levels of awareness uh, and feeling and observing when you begin to unravel like one major story, the more you observe it, the more you understand that the way you've created that structure of that story through fear, attachment, ego, shadow, you know, reptilian brain stuff, it's all the same. It's all the same. This is why observation and having listening skills is so important. Why having a physical discipline that will give you listening skills is so important because when you begin to listen, when you begin to feel, when you begin to see, especially in your body and, and through your body, you cannot hide from yourself. There, there's no way to hide anymore. And you have to learn how to be fearless. You have to learn how to have that courage because of what you are choosing, because of what you are giving yourself. And this is why a lot of people do not understand, do not get it, or they get stuck in just talking about the concepts and posting memes on social media or regurgitating things from other teachers and have no personal wisdom themselves. They just have the intellectual analysis of what other people have said. Personal interpretation is always a good sign, always a good thing, because that means people have actually spent time reflecting. But when you have a couple of major stories come to the surface and you sit with them and you go deep into them, you can feel all of the connections. You can feel everything that your monkey mind, that your shadow, your ego, that your reptilian defense mechanisms has put into that attachment. And when you un unravel the details, and the devil is in the details, when you unravel the details, you realize that all of those mechanisms, that all of your illusions, your fear-based judgments, choices, perceptions 
they're all hooked into the story the same way. Every story that you have has the same hooks, different situational context, different storylines, but the structure of how fear engages a storyline is always the same. Always, always the same. Your ego, your shadow will come at you exactly the same way when you break out of it and when you try and do something new and different. And that's why listening is so important because once you begin to listen, you realize that you can feel the repetition, you can feel the pattern, and everything is the same. What changes and what becomes different is when you actually step into your heart and you open up to the cosmic ocean of creation, when you open up to heart alignment and spirit and your higher self, and you realize that there are these all these other huge, vast realities that you can create and experience for yourself and not stay stuck on plunking that one piano key or that one little harp chord. Thank you for joining us today on The Open Door. We have enjoyed our discussion and hope you have too. Until next time, we're Kelly. And Kelly.